Gen X Playback, episode number 22. Philly listeners, people outside of this area are like, what are they talking about? Here we go. One, two, three, four, five, sixers. Yeah. Ten, nine, eight, seventy, sixers. All right, so why am I playing this song? Yes, this Scott, song, so. why are you playing that so, song? We want to give a shout-out to um, one of our many listeners. Uh, and again, uh, this is a very dedicated area that we have, and they are down in the great state of Louisiana. Now, what do the Philadelphia 76ers have with the great state of Louisiana, more specifically Lafayette, Louisiana? Uh, they have been... Uh, one of our first out-of-state listeners when we started the podcast back in uh, last summer. Okay. So Lafayette, Louisiana has been around for a very long time on the Gen X Playback Show. And so what does Lafayette, Louisiana have to do with the Philadelphia 76ers? I uh, no clue. Okay. What was one, who was one of your favorite players as a kid growing up? Andrew Tony. So from the University of Louisiana, Lafayette, 6'3", God, number 25, Andrew Tony. Tony is from, uh, went to school in Lafayette, Louisiana. So big shout out to Lafayette. Uh, thank you very much. You've been with us since the beginning. And uh, welcome to the Gen X Playback Show for those of you that may be tuning into us for the first time. Yeah. Well, that, I, you know, Scott always comes with information uh, each episode that I don't know because um, he's the one that goes in and looks at the numbers and the stats. And so I, I'm like you. I sit here and like, you know, I'm kind of like waiting to hear what he's going to say. And it's, I had no idea. That's that's kind of neat. I'm I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, it's very cool. They, uh, I think they were maybe the third or fourth state that showed up on our analytics list. And just to repeat, folks, we have no idea outside of what town you're from. That's what he says. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we're, we also, we're not collecting data. It's it's what Spotify uh, is is able to give us. But we also wanted to, uh, you know. Mention the fact that maybe some of you are tuning into uh, our podcast on Stitcher for the first time. Uh, we just signed up with Stitcher a couple of weeks ago, and so far we've gotten so, a pretty good response from that. So we're trying to grow this little little podcast, our little community. Uh, you know, we're a big fish in a small pond. We are the largest podcast in Nestville, Pennsylvania, but well, that goes without saying. Nestville's not very big, folks. So uh, you know, we're we're glad that we can get you know, all new listeners. And if you're tuning in for the first time or checking us out, hopefully you enjoy and stick around for a little while. Absolutely. And it, uh, it's, it's always nice that, um, you know, as, as we grow, it's, I always like when Scott comes in and he tells us that we have a new state or a new country and it's, you know, it, it makes me feel like I'm, I'm traveling even, even though, you know, basically since COVID, I haven't really traveled a lot. Yeah. And it just kind of, Lead, lends to the imagination and i guess that's part of what you, you were doing with the podcast and sean just talked about it 
right before we started recording here is we're, you know, we're trying to create some memories or bring back some memories for folks and, you know, two new countries that just popped up, France and South Korea, um, are tuning in. So whether you're an American that is overseas and they're checking out the podcast, or maybe you're from those countries, but hopefully what we're talking about has, you know, a, a common, common denominator with what we're covering that you'll find interesting and want to check out maybe more episodes. Right. Cause we could have somebody in another country, you know, maybe it's somebody that's a teenager and they say, I hear about this great generation. I, I, I hear that they were at the forefront of pop culture and that they had the best music and the best movies. And, and we're going to talk about tonight, the best fashion. Well, it's Tom Brokaw called the uh, World War II generation, the world, you know, America's greatest generation for what they did in winning the war. And I, I don't dispute that at all. However, however, Gen X in terms of technology and, uh, you know, just it was such an explosion of of the senses, you know, there, and it wasn't just music. It wasn't just movies. It wasn't just television. There was just so much going on at once. It was just a great time to grow up. And, and hopefully we can convey that to, to many of you listeners. It, it, it was. And, you know, one of the things that I, what we're going to touch on tonight, and, you know, as I said, we're going to talk about fashion and it, you know, with all the, the three decades, the seventies, eighties and nineties, you know, that us as Gen Xers, we were able to live through. And one of the big takeaways for me of uh, just as far as fashion and, and visuals, because we were all about the visuals, right? And it was the colors. We embraced bright colors, probably more than a lot of generations. And I think it kind of speaks to who we were and in a way, kind of who we are still as as Gen Xers and why I I love the, the, the bright colors and, and the happiness. And, you know, for me, you know, so much of, of Gen X is that it was a good time. And Scott says about the memories. And that's, you know, we're hoping we're, we're going to spur some good times and some good thoughts and some good memories with you as well. You know, the one word that probably sticks out in my mind is optimism. Yeah. It was a very optimistic time, especially for people our age. Right. Now, now a little bit older than us, obviously, there was a time in the 70s where it wasn't the case. Correct. But we were little kids. Right. So as far as us, you Gen Xers listening out there, I, I don't know how savvy you were with what was going on in the world, but I didn't know a whole lot that was going on probably before I hit the sixth, seventh grade. Yeah. I had, you know, even though we lived during... The, you know, the, the Vietnam War and the Vietnam ending in 1975 with the fall of Saigon. You and I were both alive, but I didn't really even know what Vietnam was until, you know, 10 years later. Yeah. And the, back in the 70s, there was the gas crisis. Mm -hmm. And the only reason, Scott, that I even know that there was a gas crisis was because our father, who had the largest tire store in Nashville, that's right, yeah, had a gas station yes. where he sold those tires out of and Back then, you, you would have the gas lines. And so we saw the gas lines because our dad made us work there on weekends and, and after school. <laughs> we had to pump gas, you know, little six, seven-year-old me out there pumping your gas and trying to reach up and clean your windshield. But so that's the only reason I even knew that there was such a thing as a gas crisis. Um, other than that, it was, you know, pretty silly, happy times, you know, cartoons and, uh, and uh, lots of uh, sitcoms. Absolutely. So... With covering music, uh, going into detail, in great detail with our 70s 
performers last episode. Sean, you want to kind of turn things, you know, a little, little bit differently again. You, you know, we've covered, you've gone through some interesting topics like toys, and you know, we talked about movies and we've talked about TV. So you wanted to kind of step out into an area that I think every Gen Xer can identify with with this particular episode. Sure, and the topic's fashion now. You know, I kind of said at the end of the last episode, jokingly, you know, that Scott and I are a couple of fashionistas because we're not. Not at all. And, but <laughs> but everybody has has a fashion, right? Some you, Everybody has something. They, everyone has their own kind of style. Now, now, for the two of us, we mentioned, if you want to go all the way back to our 16 Candles episode, mm-hmm. uh, you and I rocked what uh anthony michael hall was rocking farmer ted farmer ted primarily when he was on the bus and and then at later on at the dance because we went to a private school that required us to have collared shirts right so our uniform not that we had a formal uniform but the way you and i dress through most of our days in school we looked similar to how farmer ted looked yeah right so we had the we had the kind of collared button-down shirt oxford type shirt we would wear jeans, usually Levi's, and then we would wear some type of sneaker. Yeah, and that's going to, when we start talking about maybe some of the fashion trends, we weren't the only ones that dressed like that. All of our friends did. You know, all the all of our guy friends were in the jeans and the, and the button-down shirts and sneakers. Uh, that was pretty much everybody. Now, there's going to be some discussion here when we talk about some of the fashion trends from the sneaker standpoint because, let's face it, it you know, when you look back on history, there are going to be some names that we're going to toss out there that are going to bring back memories because they don't exist anymore, or you know, you don't really even think about them. So, I think it's going to be kind of an interesting step back and and just reminisce about some of those trends that that we experienced and maybe we saw on TV or some of our friends' experience as well. Right, right, and uh, and that's a good point that you make there about seeing it on TV. You know, because we are really, in a lot of ways, the first real television generation mm-hmm. uh, where you know our our parents got a television they remember a time when a television arrived into their 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 homes but they weren't like you and i were where we don't ever remember a time where we didn't have a tv well it was funny uh, i was at work yesterday and we were talking about we knew we memorized what the tv channels were because we we're saying something about the usa network and and my coworker goes, what channel twenty nine? Twenty nine, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I said, well, ESPN was twenty five, MTV was thirty, yeah, and uh, so we just went up and down. Uh, TBS was thirty two, and we just started going up and down the list, and and he knew them too. Well, you had to because you didn't have a guide. So right now, you know, I go into the system and I push a button on my remote, and, and a guide pops up, and I can scroll that way without changing a t- uh, channel. We didn't have such a thing. Yeah. So if you wanted to channel surf. Even like in our family, before you had a remote, the remote control was Scott or I sitting next to the television. <laughs> or you would stand there. I you, would. You didn't even sit. You I, would stay, You would lean up against uh, the bookshelf. Yeah, you got. You know, you got have. You know, you got to be close. You got. You got to take it in. And I think. I think it was our our accounting teacher, Mr. Rufinock, was impressed by the way that I could run a keyboard. <laughs> and my training was the TV. It was nothing sure. else. It was being able to flip through it because you had to hit the digits and then enter. We had a pad. Yeah. So you had to type it in and then hit enter. And we got to be pretty proficient with that. I think we could change channels at like, you know, less than uh, you do like 60 and 60 seconds if we had to. Here's something you, some of you Gen Xers will remember. So the early televisions had knobs. Remember that everybody mm-hmm. knobs. 
and you would you would flip through these channels you know super fast so if there was you were watching you know let's say uh football mm -hmm. you may be watching it on cbs which for us was channel nine mm -hmm. so you're watching channel nine and then suddenly well there's another game going on on you know uh, channel five, which was NBC uh, channel, so you'd have to go real fast, mm -hmm. and you flip through, and and so and then oh, but let's see what's on ESPN, and then we flip over, and so Scott and I would wear the knobs off. We did, and we we'd break the knobs because we would turn so hard and so fast and so often they they got worn out, and we'd have to get a pair of pliers out so we could change the channel until mom and dad could go to the TV repair station <laughs> yeah, and get right. new knobs. So. Right, and so eventually they got us a pad, which allowed as Scott saying so now we could memorize what was out there but we still had to manually punch it in right okay so all right so that's that's a little background so uh what we're going to do is we're going to go through the decades all right and so uh, Scott has done a pretty good job of breaking down some different categories so we're going to we're going to systematically move through our childhood we're going to start in the 70s Scott and I are, you know little Scotty little Shawnee are, uh, are are taking in all the fashion on the playground uh, back in the day <laughs> So um, I'm going to let you go through your categories, and then uh, we'll, we'll kind of name off some of the some of the things that we recall. Now we're obviously not going to hit everything, but so, this is going to be our memories. I, I think what I'll what I'll do is I'll start it off with the song, and then we'll kind of go into the fashion trends of perhaps maybe what you're visualizing from the band or maybe that era. Okay. okay? All right. So we're going back now to the early early '70s, and this is a pretty famous. What ended up, what started out as a TV commercial, ended up being a pretty famous song. And so, now remember, at this point, we're coming out of the 60s, mm -hmm. so the hippie culture is still very much alive. This is what I would throw my mother in law into because she was very much into this, uh, you know, kind of a poncho, everybody's carrying a guitar, people have long, natural hair. Um, there's a lot of hand holding going on at this time. Yeah. So it's it's very feel good. Some sandals. Exactly. And this is where I think that uh, the women have long hair, and so do the guys. Mm -hmm. Hair was very much. If I had to think about the '70s, one I think probably the first thing that stands out to me is the hair, whether it's facial hair or what was on top of our heads, but. People became very, very much into their hair uh, in the 1970s. And there were all different kinds of trends, all different types of, of hairstyles. And, but for me, if I had to picture the quintessential, what, what an average guy looked like in 1973, 74, he probably had like long, kind of curlyish hair, a beard, uh, wearing beat up jeans and sandals. Okay. All right. How about you? Uh, yeah, I mean... For me, you know, I, I won't disagree with you when you say there was a lot of hair. Now, there, there's a distinction at the beginning of the 70s, and, and you're saying that with like 1973 from later on. So my, my visual is that early on, there might be a lot of hair, but there's not a lot of care being put into making <laughs> that hair look stylish. True, right. You it know, it's, there, there's kind of a, you know, what, no matter whether you're, you're white or black, if you had depending on your hairstyle you had an afro right you know so it was just growing and a lot of the guys just had the long hair and if you could read my mind love okay now we're talking about gordon lightfoot yeah all right 
You got the beard. You got the. So he had a beard at this point. Uh, not at this point. I was going to no. say to me this would have been more sideburns and. Yes, I was going to mention sideburns. Kind of clean shaven, but some big mutton chop sideburns. But you know, I think the one thing that kind of ties the two together is the fact that you know you're dealing with like an acoustic guitar, and for 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 me the '70s, I, I think a lot of summer camp, and oh, for one week in the summertime. Uh, our parents would ship me out, and you did it too. They would ship us out to a uh, you know summer camp for a week, mm-hmm. and the camp counselors to me, this is like what the camp counselor, the essence of our camp counselors. Okay. All right. So I don't think, I think in order to get into be a camp counselor, you had to have a beard. Yeah. You had to be able to play guitar. Right. And you had to wear sandals. And and your shorts probably were cutoffs. Absolutely, yeah. You know, they they were just a pair of jeans that had had run their course, and you cut them off. Hey, hey, brother. You know, I'm going swimming. I'm going into the swimming hole because you know at camp we didn't have a pool. We yeah. had a, we swam in a pond. Right. Uh, you know, bathing suit. I mean, cut off jeans, brother. Mm-hmm. Um, because we went because we grew up, uh, you know, going to Christian schools and everything. To me, this is like what the prerequisite for a youth pastor would be okay if, if in and those of you who have grown up in the church and think about your youth pastors from like the 70s into the 80s they kind of fit the same type of mold yeah you know, kind of you know it was it was it was a little bit of a kind of the hippie side to it hey hey let's talk yeah you know let's let's you know let's explore our feelings and hey guys don't I, fight about that I'm, let's 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 sit down and discuss this you know, i'm saying it with a smile on my face i'm not making fun of it because <laughs> I, i'm just because it, it I makes me look back smile fondly yeah, it just kind of brings you. back that memory but the um just the whole summer camp thing and the camp counselors i'm sure there's a lot of people that know exactly what we're talking about here Although, you know, for me, you know, I, I think more of, of our lifestyle would have resembled a little bit more you know, fashion-wise of what was going on with um, the Partridge family and probably the Brady Bunch. Okay. You know, or early on, that sort of look. Uh, sure. Yeah. And now we had, um, I know as a kid, and I've seen pictures of us as, as little kids, we wore very bright colored jeans tough skins uh tough skins are on my list of tough, stuff to talk okay about. yeah tough skins that we would always put holes in the knees well we wouldn't well, I, I guess we would so you remember who made tough skins it was pennies right sears oh it was sears okay yeah sears and so the whole marketing campaign with that and i, I remember this because i remember you know going to the store because our mom would only buy us tough skins because scott and i would wear out the knees on our jeans and so the idea of Tuscans was you had these reinforced knees in particular. Right. And that they, the ad campaign was they'll outgrow the jeans before they'll wear them out. <laughs> and I think they had kind of like a money-back guarantee if you like wear them out. Well, I, maybe they did that at one point, but I know our mom started sewing patches on them because that was when she brought home all these patches and she was like trying to sell us on it because <laughs> we were so upset that she's... You're putting patches on it, and like we got to wear patches. Are you kidding me? And she's like, "Oh, look, I found these. These are really nice." And they had like little funny sayings on them, like "disco rules" and <laughs> things like that. And and I, I just remember thinking to myself, "All right, whatever." Um, I don't think they, they made it onto too many jeans, though. No, no. I think she may have tried it like once yeah, or twice and yeah. gave up. Okay. 
Um, so that was like the earlier, earlier parts of the seventies. And that, that's kind of what we remember as, as our, as our childhood. I'm going to get into a little bit more. It wasn't all just the kind of the Dan Fogelberg fuzzy, um, you know, let's, let's hug. And it wasn't like that at all. I'm going to get into a little bit more of the songs as, uh, as we kind of progress through the seventies, but a big part of the seventies was an episode that, that you and I talked about before, which was disco. And there was, there was definitely that was part of the, I would say, the the haves and the have-nots, and people who wanted to be part of the haves, they wanted to live this, you know, lifestyle of going to clubs, and they wanted to um, be trendy, and certainly that was part of the uh, the disco phase. So, figured I'd throw a disco song in here as we kind of chat about that. This is the Bee Gees, and, and you talk about the trendy, and and I believe we did talk about this in our disco episode where the uh, they would be disparaging disparagingly referred to as the bridge and tunnel people right right so they weren't the people from manhattan but they wanted to get there and go to studio 54 and that's obviously when the scene was still in new york and you know probably miami and probably you know certain places of california maybe la or san francisco you know eventually though when the song that scott's playing you know uh, which is off the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack, when that hits, then disco spreads across the country. And suddenly, there were disco clothes for kids at your local mall. <laughs> Not that we ever had any. <laughs> at least I didn't. Not disco clothes, yeah. no. Yeah. No. Um, no, we did not have leisure suits. Well, I was going to mention that, leisure suits, that the, the leisure, shoot, leisure suit became very popular in the 1970s, as did the polyester shirts and the wide collars and it was uh it, shiny shirts that were made out of polyester it was very expressive you know people were trying you know if, if you were somebody that was into this type of music chances are you weren't going to be going to a club to dance in jeans you're dressing up for the for the night you know we talked about the disco performers and how they wore tuxedos there was something I guess that was considered an upscale aspect to disco music, and that's what pe- people tried to dress that way in, in terms of the fashion. Yeah, and I have down here, as far as you know, the polyester suits, and, and I tie that in with disco. But also, I, I remember later on at the end of the 70s, as when you know, disco's kind of dying out, you know, Three's Company, they mm-hmm. went from the Ropers to Mr. Furley. Mm-hmm. And of course, when, when Ralph Furley shows up, he is a couple years out of step. So Mr. Furley has nothing but leisure suits and some other items that, that were there. He had the scarves had the tied scarf, around the neck, yeah. and then he had ascots. Yeah. And these were all the accessories that you were going to find as part of that that swinger disco period, and which is what they were making fun of with Ralph Furley. Sure. Okay. And that's kind of typical, I think, for for all of us. You know, now that we are kind of through that and now we're older and able to be made fun of by a, a younger generation or two where it was very typical to find someone that got that found a niche mm-hmm. they it they made it work it was the best time of their life and it worked for them and they had put a lot of money into their outfits and got a lot of positive feedback and they were never going to let it go sure so 20 30 years later they're still trying to rock that look that they got such positive reaction out of but now they're looking silly right and I wanted to also mention, you know, we talked about disco, and 
neither Sean nor, or I consider Earth, Wind, and Fire a disco no. group, although they had their music played at many, many discotheques and clubs, for sure. They kind of had a style that was sort of an offshoot of of the disco trend, where they had a lot of the similar clothes. What I thought was so cool about a band like Earth, Wind, and Fire was their hair. I was so jealous of their hair. You wanted an afro? I wanted an afro. Yeah, I mean, I'm a white kid, but like, I... Like Maurice Starr or... Yeah. Oh, well, he had a receding hairline, yeah. but maybe Philip Bailey. Um, I had two favorite baseball players on the Phillies back in the ah, day. Ah, I, I know where you're going. Mike Schmidt was my number yeah. one favorite player of all time. Yeah. And my second favorite player is Bake McBride. Sure. And Bake Shake McBride, and Bake. Shake and Bake looked like he could, you know, hurt somebody. <laughs> and he had the coolest. He had, the, he had a beard. And Gary Maddox did too. But for some reason, I think Bake looked a little more menacing. I always thought to myself... Um, Lazinski and McBride looked like they could be two bouncers at a bar, okay? Mm-hmm. Lazinski, the big stocky guy, holds you in place with a chokehold while Bake McBride does like a left-right-left combination and knocks you out. Well, Bake was super stylish. Yeah, for those of you who remember, especially those of you who grew up Phillies fans, you know, Bake McBride had a giant afro. It's so much so that you know, he would squeeze it down under his hat and under his batting helmet, and then when he would run the bases, his helmet would always pop off. Absolutely, yeah. And yeah it, we, it, we'd joke, say that it was intentional. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But it, it was so big that it literally, any type of movement would cause his helmet just to spring off his head. And it's kind of cool to see the Afro make, uh, it doesn't has never really gone away in the 80s. I think watching TV shows like The Cosby Show, you know, the kids were, were going more with a, more of a trim cut. We used to follow groups like New Edition. They did the same thing. But every once in a while, you'll, you'll see people, individuals, or groups that they, they make it back on the TV or movies or, or music, and they're rocking that big afro again. And to me, I always thought that was really cool. I, I, thought, um, I thought it was impressive. I know it probably took a lot of time to make it look that good and have that make it, you know, that, that look that perfect. And it was just something that I, I always admired and thought was thought it was very cool. Do you know who else had had a killer afro uh, back in the seventies? Go on YouTube, pull up a Journey video from the nineteen seventies. Neil Sean, Neil Sean, yeah, like true. like bring up like Wheel in the Sky. He has the biggest white man afro and Fu Manchu, Fu Manchu. Mustache, mustache I, that you ever saw. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. And that was so. If you want to know what's epitomizing the style of that time, and that was like. Would you say it was like 76, 77-ish, probably around that Wheel time? Wheel in the Sky, probably 77. Yeah. And yeah. so that that was the look. And, and that was the look that, you know, a lot of people were going for. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And we shouldn't rule out because there was, uh, you know, we talked about disco music. And disco did not completely rule the day. There were a lot of anti-disco people, as we mentioned in our episode about the Disco Sucks Night in 1979 that was at Comiskey Park in Chicago. There was a big, big presence of people. And I would say the area that we grew up in in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, was probably more lean towards the hard rock side. You know, we had a lot of of kids that walked around and, and were into the hard rock music. And I think you would probably hear this coming out of somebody's car stereo more than you would probably hear a disco song if you were pulling up to the Turkey Hill and somebody was getting out of it to go buy a slushie. Especially if they were driving a Nova. Well, that was Rick Springfield's Human Touch, to be more specific. But 
Sean knew where I was going with that. Although, you know, there was definitely a specific kind of person and how they looked that attended the hard rock concerts. Uh, it was definitely more of a dressed down appearance. Well, you know, you're playing Van Halen right now, and so that kind of brings up one of the things on my list as far as clothing, and that was, I think in the 1970s, you really seeing the popularity of graphic t-shirts, especially concert shirts. Sure. So if you went and saw Van Halen, or you saw Aerosmith, or you went and you saw Kiss, or Peter Frampton, most likely you were getting a t-shirt at the concert. It was something to be noticed with a concert t-shirt on. Right. Especially by somebody who admired the band that you went to go see. Right. Like I remember when you and I went to go see Billy Joel. Mm-hmm. And I was wearing my Billy Joel concert t-shirt in a store. And somebody's like, oh, man, did you see him live? Oh, that's great. And it just kind of it kind of drew attention to you. And you kind of felt a little cooler. Yeah, yes, I was, as yeah. a matter of fact. And so, yeah, it was it was kind of neat to... I know there were concert t-shirts around from before, but they started to become more of a trend, more of a thing that you would see in a store like a Spencer's. Because before Spencer's went into, you know, what it is now, if you wanted to go buy, like, a t-shirt of a band, chances are that's where you would go to get it, would be in a store like a Spencer's. And... Also, for those of you, especially here on the, the East Coast, I have no idea how it was done on the West Coast, but we had T-shirt, uh, you know, stores on the boardwalk mm-hmm. where you could walk in and there would be thousands of decals to choose from, and you would you would you would select your shirt, you would you would give them the number of the print that you wanted, and then they would do a heat press. And they would press, uh, you know, whatever little graphic you wanted on there. If you were into sports, you got that. You were into music, you could get that. If you were into, um, you know, a Pepsi Cola, mm-hmm. you could get a T-shirt that was pressed with with a, a bottle of Pepsi on it. So I just think that while there may have been some of that before, I think in the 1970s is really when you saw kind of a, an explosion of that where, you know, at schools, you know, especially in the summertime, you mm-hmm. would see a lot of people walking around with their graphic T-shirts. So, you know, the typical kid that you went to school with, you know, what would you say you would see on them in the 1970s? Like, what was on their feet? What what, what were they how, wearing? What, what era? Like, how early? I, I well, early? I would say go late 70s. Like, you know, in late 70s, you're going to school. What would the average kid be wearing well the well jeans obviously so you you know you're you're in the late 70s you're probably starting to wear sneakers you know early on um i would say that you know sneakers weren't as we didn't have the influence of the major sneaker brands correct in the 70s the the big place that we would go for our sneakers was kinney's the great american shoe store great american shoe store and they had a brand called kinney nba Yes, right? that's right. And so, Kinney NBA didn't have three stripes like Adidas; they had four, or it was it five? It, I think it was. I think it was five because there was another brand that had K-Swiss. four. And um, what I got from Kinney was not the Nike swoosh; it was the upside down <laughs> swoosh. And because we weren't, uh, our parents did not let us get Nikes until I think we reached a certain age. Well, you know. And this was kind of typical, I think, of a lot of kids in the 70s where, once again, we did not have the, the sneakers the way they are today. You know, they they weren't quite the athletic footwear that we now have. So kids who wear dress shoes 
to school, especially in elementary school, and you would, you'd wear Kenny shoes, which were kind of casual dress shoes. Right. They were lace-up dress shoes. Right. Um, they were leather, but they weren't necessarily uh, the type of leather you were going to polish. Sure, and they were and they were known as a durable shoe. And that's you know we would go at the beginning of the school year every year you and I and and we would be you know our mom we kind of pick our shoes for the year, mm-hmm. and I'm assuming Kenny was probably running some type of special where you know you buy like two <laughs> back to school get yeah. you know get the other one half price or something because. We would get a dress, you know, new pair of dress shoes, which you know we'd wear to school, we'd wear to church, and then we'd also get our our sneakers, which we would wear on our gym day. Uh huh. And what was on the bottom of those shoes? On the on the, the Kenny shoes? shoes. It said yeah. gas on it. G A S S. The Great American Shoe Store. In big gigantic letters. Yeah. So when you sat there in class, you you tried not to lift your feet up. You kept them firmly planted on the floor because. You know, kids being kids, they see gas on underneath yeah. on on the bottoms of your feet. You're going to get teased. Um. Well, so a story about that. So we, um, you know, initially up up until third grade, I I we went to public school, and then third grade we switched. We went to our private Christian school that that we ended up going all the way through. And I remember my first day. I'm, I'm sitting there, and we're kind of together as a group. First day of school, and I had my my foot kind of we're sitting on down like the mat area and i kind of had my foot sticking off to the side and one of the kids chad stalsus he sat over there and he literally started tracing the, the <laughs> gas on the bottom of my shoe with his finger and that was like the introduction for how then he started talking to me it's so just he, i didn't get made fun of it just kind of makes you what were they thinking <laughs> i mean why would you put that on the bottom of a shoe i i just i have no idea but did you, you know kenny was like one of the if I think they were the biggest shoe store, they were for a while. Now, eventually, they they did they acquire or create Foot Locker. They did. They merged. They became Foot yeah. Locker. So eventually, yeah. they they you know they go on to bigger and better things because it was Kinney and Buster Brown. Those were the two sure. big shoe yeah. stores, especially oh. for kids. Now I don't know. I never had Tommy Cans, and I don't really remember Buster Browns. But those were the type of stores that I think a lot of kids went to. So when you're saying. You know, coming back full circle, like what was on their feet, it was something like that. Right. You, you might have had a Kenny, you could have had a Buster Brown, you could have had a Tom McCann. Uh, it, it, you know, it's possible you had kids. Okay. Possible, but I, I don't remember a whole lot of kids, mm-hmm. you know, where we were at uh, having different shoes. All right. So that'd sure. be on your feet. Earlier on in the 70s, you, you were definitely wearing more dress pants, polyester okay. mm-hmm. plaid. You know, yeah. and I come back to think about what they were wearing on the Brady Bunch. Yeah. That was kind of what the kids on the Brady Bunch had is what we were wearing and the, the kids on the playground were wearing as well. Yeah, I think I think our parents or moms more specifically probably watched the Brady Bunch, saw Bobby Brady, and decided that's what our kids are going to look like. <laughs> well, here's what happened, and you remember this. So we had, our mom had a friend uh, who had kids who are a little bit older than us. Mm-hmm. And so as a result, when they would outgrow their clothes, mom would get a big bag of clothes uh, given to us from their, her, you know, her friend's kids. And then they would, you know, they would come over to our house. And then so we would get like a year old fashion <laughs> from, from that family. And you Gen Xers know the fashions changed pretty fast. Yeah. And, and you were, yeah, we were always a step behind, I think, in terms of fact. But as a little kid, I didn't really think. I didn't think about that. Fashion fashion didn't become a thing for me until early 80s for, for myself. 
Right. Well, it, for me, it was kind of like junior high. So when you, so when you're talking about, so you asked me what was it like in the late '70s? Yeah, I, to me, I'm starting to become a little more aware of fashion, mm-hmm. a little bit, and I got to the point where when Nike kind of became a thing around 1980, 79, 1980, in, in that realm, I went out and I I mowed lawns, so I could come up with my own money. Because now I wanted to buy my own shoes. Yeah, I remember that being very important to you. You, yeah. uh, they offered to take us to Kinney again, and you were pretty determined not to go back to get the gas shoes. Right. You wanted to get a pair of Nikes, and you, uh, you know, and I do thank you because you kind of broke through the door for me that I was able to get them shortly after. Right. Because then you know you were you're finally I think current with. <laughs> with the fashion of the time so well and you know and to to like our mom's credit I, I remember her deal with me was okay i'm going to go and i'll spend let's say twenty dollars at kinney i'll put twenty dollars towards whatever you want that's all i'm spending if you want to earn the rest you can go ahead and earn the okay. rest so that's what i did as far as shirts i remember terry cloth shirts sure yeah they were really big yeah in, in like I, the late 70s i i I wore them. You wore them. Terry cloth was a very popular fabric. And those of you Gen Xers that shopped at Kmart, which was one of the top clothing retailers mm-hmm. of its time. And uh, Kmart was very big on Terry cloth material. And there was a lot of stuff out there. It was robes. It was pajamas. It was shirts. Right. It was that. It was kind of a soft, comfortable material. It wasn't a, like a scratchy polyester. Because there's, you know, pictures of Sean and I, we had matching blue suits. And they oh, were yeah. powder blue suits that we had to wear to, you know, holidays and things like that. And it was uncomfortable, but shirts like that were pretty comfortable. You know, with, uh, Scott talks about the suits, and that's another thing that kind of came out of the 70s, you know, for you Gen Xers. It, I think for the first time in a long time, suits kind of became part of the masses again. You know, I think in, in younger generations, you know, maybe in, growing up in the 40s or 50s, you might have worn a, more a suit because there was, you know, formal events. You see pictures of people going to baseball games and they're wearing suits. Mm-hmm. But then kind of in the 60s, you know, Scott said the hippie culture kind of threw that, that stuff away. Well, now in the 70s, things become a little more affordable. Now, now you don't have to go to a tailor necessarily. You could go to a Kmart at, or Sears, probably more likely Sears, and you could get your kids a blue powder, a powder blue suit, right off the rack. Well, the the material was more was less expensive because right. of it being a, a polyester material. It didn't cost as much as say to have to go to a wool. It was lighter than wool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you could you could kind of run around as a kid and play in it, and you you wouldn't necessarily like start sweating in it, or it was a little more comfortable to to wear not that we enjoyed wearing suits we didn't sure no, we, we took those clip-on ties off as quickly as what we <laughs> yes, could yes we did we did have clip-on ties one other band of the 1970s that i i do want to acknowledge even though i can't say i ever saw anybody that was into you know the punk rock age in our in our town um but there was definitely a punk rock uh group out in the world whether it was in Great Britain or in the United States or in other countries in Europe. We were talking about the spiked hair, mm-hmm. leather jackets, you know, studs. Uh, it was kind of a tough culture mentality. And so that, that was a look that for, you know, a period of time. And 
still makes its way back and forth in in the uh, in the in the essence of of culture today. Well, I don't necessarily remember seeing people walking around school or on the streets in our town with mohawks. You definitely started seeing it as part of pop culture, and yeah, I, I know that the the safety pins became a thing. It, I don't know that I ever saw anybody in person at that time with a safety pin stuck through their skin, but you would see safety pins on jackets. You know, like okay. somebody might yeah. have a, a, a jean jacket. Yeah, that's true. And they would put safety pins through it, and then you kind of knew that they were a punk rocker. Sure. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they would maybe write on their jackets. They take a marker, and they would they would scrawl they whatever band the that they were in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Typically, it was the Ramones. That's why I picked this particular song, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, there, uh, it would, it would, we wouldn't be able to do our generation justice if we did not include the punk rockers because there were quite a few of them out there, particularly in certain cities around the world. And also, I, I, I would say footwear because they kind of were the Doc Martens. Yeah, I, and, 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 I was thinking like combat boots. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, what, what, I mean, I guess maybe. I, I don't know if that was the right brand, but I know I know Doc Martens eventually become really popular later on. But I kind of whatever they were wearing, they were wearing kind of this combat boot, you know, Doc Martens style boots at the time, and it it did influence fashion. I mean, it it was while it you know just like disco might have started at some point, and then it kind of trickles its way out when the rest of the world starts to embrace it, because in the seventies we didn't have well, we didn't have the internet for sure, mm-hmm. but we didn't have MTV. At right. that point. So you still kind of need to have like the trendsetters in your town somehow either find it through magazines or see it in a movie. Oftentimes you would see things in movies. Yeah, you would see it in movies. Television um, shows. You know, the mall was the closest thing to uh, at times because of the fashions coming from other cities. Like I said, we grew up in a, in a smaller city, and but we weren't. We were close enough that we were able to stay even with a lot of the trends of the time. And so we were fortunate in that part. Um, well, we were going to Philadelphia. Yeah. I mean, so we were there. <clears throat> you you go to a ball game, you're going to see people wearing the latest fashions. We would go to Baltimore. You know, we would see people that were going to be trendier. And we might not have ever seen it before, but we got exposed to it. Absolutely. Okay. So as the 70s started to come to an end, there was a, a new fashion trend that I think is important to, to, to bring up. And we started to see the influence of, I don't know if you would call it Southern culture, but maybe country culture, where you had a TV show come out like the Dukes of Hazzard. Mm-hmm. And one of the breakout stars was Catherine Bach, who played Daisy Duke. She was so big, as a matter of fact, that the clothes that she wore got their own names. Her cutoff jeans became known as Daisy Dukes. They're still known as Daisy and Dukes. And to this day, they are still called Daisy Dukes. Yeah. And they're still a thing. Sure. And, um, the, you know, we talked about a little bit before when I was playing Gordon Lightfoot and Dan Fogelberg that are male um, counselors at camp. They were all into the cutoff jeans. But now we're starting to see the women starting to, to wear the Daisy Dukes. And, of course... They did it so much better than the guys <laughs> yeah, did. Yeah, they did. I, you know, I, and uh, you know, I'm not trying to say it to be a perv or anything, but I, I just think that they they were able to take it and make it better. Oh, and, yeah. and the Daisy Dukes to this day are still a thing. Right now, and you talk about kind of the southern influence 
kind of the country influence. Uh, you know, that goes into accessories. And so one of the things that I remember was, you know, Burt Reynolds was smoking the bandit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Burt definitely was kind of setting a trend. And one of the things that always jumped out at me, and I think it's because our father embraced this, was the turquoise yes. jewelry. Right? Always had, Burt always had the turquoise ring. And our dad always, I think he still wears a turquoise ring to this day. You know, I, actually, I think I made the comment a couple of years ago to our mom. I said, you know, it just dawned on me. All those years that dad dressed the way he did, I think he was trying, he thought he looked like Burt Reynolds. He had the mustache. He had the mustache. He had the aviator sunglasses. He had the cowboy hat, the belt buckles, and the turquoise. He was was trying to be Burt Reynolds. Well, you know, everybody, I should say everybody, it's very common to try to take take your lead from people in, whether it's on television or in the movies. I mean, it's, you know, another... So the person I want to talk about is Farrah Fawcett, mm-hmm. you know, because the way she would set trends. And that was, you know, there, while there's a lot of women that weren't necessarily going to look like Farrah Fawcett, they wanted to look as close as they could, and they liked that look. So that that look that, that Dad had at the time, you know, with the with wearing the vests and the cowboy hats mm-hmm. and, the, and the mustache and the turquoise, there's a lot of guys going for that look. Oh, sure. He wasn't the only one. And Burt and Reynolds was cool. Burt Reynolds was admired by men and women all over the world. Yeah, absolutely. And you talked about Farrah Fawcett and the hair. Yeah. With, uh, with Hair really started to take on a greater importance, I think, than the generations before, particularly baby boomers. Uh, you know, the hippies, they were about growing their hair out, but they weren't necessarily about the grooming Correct. part of it. Now you have these TV and acting icons to come in. Now it's all about the hair. Mm-hmm. And you have, uh, you know, I think really for me, one of the first actors that stood out to me known for having like the perfect hair was David Cassidy and the Partridge family. Sure. And, you know, it was parted down the middle and then it was uh, feathered. Yeah. It was blow dried. It was feathered. You probably had some hairspray on there. Very well cared for Well, now, it, you know, as you start to get into the middle to late seventies, the hair seems that you have Charlie's angels mm-hmm. and they have the big, but the beautifully done feathered hair. Uh, you know, the, the, the actors, the guys are starting to do the same thing. Sure. Randy, uh, Travers was Travis from WKRP in Cincinnati. Andy Travis. Oh, and, sir, Andy. Yeah. yeah Andy Travis. And uh, yeah, I mean, he had it was it was thick, it was voluptuous, parted down the middle, parted down the and middle, feathered. And I know I parted, you know, as I got a little bit older, parting your hair down the middle was still a thing in the eighties, and probably for a good part of the early eighties sure. until eighty four, eighty five. You know, I'm still parting my hair down the middle, and that was. I'm not ashamed to say I had a blow dryer. Uh, I you still know, have a, a hair dryer. You know, a, hair, a hair dryer. And, um, you know, one of the, I think one of the funniest, again, so you guys learn a little bit about Sean and I is our, our dad was a member of a, of a hunting cabin and he'd been friends with these, with these guys that he hunted with for, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. And we used to go along and, and go to the cabin. And I remember one time I'm, I'm, after I got done taking a shower, I pull out my hair dryer and, you know, I'm in there and you know, doing my thing. And I opened the door and walked out and I had all these eyes that were like daggers on me. Like, what are you doing? And so needless to say, a lot of dad's friends were farmers. Yeah. 
they didn't quite get the uh, the hair dryer, yeah. and uh, but I'll never forget that moment when I walked out <laughs> and saw about twelve pairs of eyes just staring at me like, "What's wrong with you, boy?" And uh, so that was that was the hair dryer, but that yeah. was started to become very big for men and women in the in the late seventies, early eighties. Right, and you know, so it, you know, I had some names that I, I wrote down that you know who I thought kind of started and pulled that look off. The the first name I had down was Vinnie Barbarino. Yeah, that's you know, a good so one. So you got John Travolta yeah. on Welcome Back Carter as Vinnie Barbarino, very much known for his hair, which is amazing now because John Travolta doesn't have any hair. <laughs> but but back then, you know, it was you know all about all about that that blow dried feathered hair. I had David Cassidy, I had Barry Gibb. He was yeah. really known for kind of having that you know of the Bee Gees having yes. that that kind of blow dried feathered hair. And then I had I had Travis from WKRP in Cincinnati. Yeah. Yeah, I mean those, those, those are those are very good examples, and I think, uh, you know, think of some of the bigger TV personalities at the time when a David Cassidy would have been out there, or in you know WKRP in Cincinnati. Uh, two of the biggest names in acting, I think, were from Saturday Night Live, and you're talking about Chevy Chase and John Belushi. Well, Chevy Chase has pretty much always had horrible, you know, he was not a guy. Maybe he did, and if Chevy, if you're listening, I apologize, but. It wasn't feathered, uh, you know. It wasn't done up like some of the other uh, big personalities in the entertainment industry would have been back in that day. Right, right. So you know, and that you know, as, you know, Scott uh, talked about the, with with hair, and that kind of transitions over. And that's one of the things that I think we both experienced when we we prepared for this episode was how much carryover there is between the decades. So it's not as if magically in 1980 suddenly fashion swings well i we had talked about how quickly disco came to an end at the end of the decade and i think the more i thought about it and i'm going to play this because this is this is one of uh one of our favorite songs from that era and it's from the urban cowboy soundtrack and this is uh, johnny lee's looking for love urban cowboy I think put a country spin on disco and if you had to look at one maybe uh the clubs like gillies down in the movie the urban cowboy now the cowboys are going to these uh, instead of doing disco music now they're dancing to country music but instead of getting all fancied up in expensive polyester outfits they're wearing designer jeans and i think that the country uh, influence on the music scene and dancing probably did more for expensive the price of jeans and the fact that people were wearing form-fitting tight bell-bottom jeans like you know bell bottoms were a thing in the 70s but now you're starting to see these skin-tight jeans that are made by Jordash right by uh, you know what are uh, uh, Gloria, Gloria Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt yeah and now you're seeing people spending hundreds of dollars on a pair of jeans which Previously, you know, you go into the store and you buy a pair of Levi's for twenty bucks. Right. So I think I think that the disco era kind of transitioned into this kind of this country music. Where, but I think the fashion part of it is uh, in the look that came out of this movie. And, and and that was to the point I made a little while ago about you know with you know people taking on maybe like a bit of the Burt Reynolds look. I, I think movies are always going to be influential and you know sometimes that they'll set trends you know obviously saturday night fever set a trend uh urban cowboy 
another John Travolta movie completely sets a trend as far as people kind of embracing that cowboy look. It doesn't always happen. I mean, a lot of movies bomb and, and don't go anywhere, but occasionally you'll get something that really kind of sets the bar. And, you know, I, this is another thing that I wrote down on my list because it was, it was very common for somebody to, uh, you know, Go out and get a pair of cowboy boots for the first time after that movie. Sure. Cowboy hats, belt buckles. Although you and I were ahead of that trend. You know, yes. there, there's there's some pictures that floating around uh, where, you know, there's little you and little me out in Colorado, all decked out in our cowboy apparel. And we are completely decked out. Yeah. Too. And that would have been, what year do you think that would have been? Like that would have been 75? 75. Yeah. Because yeah, I think I was four. Okay. Because I wore I wore my shirt. You wore your shirt in your school picture. I did, absolutely. And I wore mine in my preschool picture because I wasn't quite in kindergarten. Because we were, we, were, we were way, a little bit ahead of the trend. And so Scott and I, we, our parents, uh, we took a vacation one summer, summer 75. We went out to Colorado mm-hmm. um, where our parents lived before we were born. And then they, um, we, we, we were into it. So we got all decked out, and we we they had a Western store that we went to, and we got hats and boots and the the little little ties and. You had a red tie, and I had a green tie. Do we, our shirts were yellow, weren't they? Yeah, we're yellow. Yeah, mine had a cactus on it. <laughs> <laughs> yep, right above the pocket. And we uh, we got a couple it. cap guns with that, and you know we had our holsters there. And yep. there's there's a picture of you like shaking Dad's hand, like. Uh, holiday partner i think i had my like my knee up on his <laughs> knee or something like that where i'm i'm kind of like leaning forward and i'm doing this pose yeah and it was <laughs> yeah obviously i didn't think of that on my own i was told to do that but uh you know i was kind of a cute little kid you know i i, I you know i kind of grew out of it but when i was little i was i was uh, considered cute but so we we definitely uh, were we're ready for the urban cowboy look that came along five years later. We're like, yes, we're finally <laughs> ahead of the trend. Right. No more year old clothes from our cousins. Um, all right. So we kind of go into the eighties now and people are looking to put the 1970s behind them. And I think for me, one of the first memories of the early eighties kind of revolves around. And I think the fashion came out of it, but for some reason, People were all of a sudden getting in shape became a very important thing. And there was a, uh, an actress, very well-known, still alive, Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda comes out with an exercise video. And it's huge. And it sells millions and millions and millions of copies and probably makes Jane Fonda more money than she ever could have as an actress. But it kind of kicked off this this exercise craze yeah. that started in the early 80s and the clothes came along with it. I, I don't know when spandex was invented. I, I don't know if it was around before the 80s, but it got embraced in the 1980s. And, and spandex started out as athletic wear. It was, you know, the, the, the stretchy tights that you would put on to go do your fitness workout. And, you know, a, a lady... A woman might put some leg warmers on over top of the spandex. Yeah, and I think that's one of the first things I remember about... I think our mom had one of those Jane Fonda workouts, and there's a picture of her where she's doing like the... She has her legs up in the air, Yeah, and she has the leg warmers sure. on. And that, that's that, what I remember That was the, the thing. Picture. Yeah, no, mom had the cassette tape. Right. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, Scott's playing this song for Olivia Newton-John's Let's Get Physical, which was a number one single, a big, big hit. And in the video, it is Olivia Newton-John working out, wearing that 
type of outfit with the spandex and, and the leg warmers, I imagine. Yeah, and we were we were introduced to this this new. I mean, physical fitness was always a thing, but now people are not necessarily working out for their health. They're working out for what the results are going to be. And I think a little bit of that maybe had to do with, uh, you know, actors like Sylvester Stallone, because you have guys that are doing more acting with their shirts off. And you see these physiques and like, hey, I'd like to have a physique like that too, or, or as a or you have an actress like Jane Fonda saying, if you do this, you can look like me. And I think people took to it, and this really kind of jump-started a whole fitness boom that, that ended up, you know, to this day, is still a huge part of people's lives every day. And you can go back and, and study history when what's perceived as being beautiful at a certain time. It, think it'll change. You know, you'll, you'll go through, uh, I would say at, in the... In the, the 40s and the 50s, you probably had, uh, you know, the, the Marilyn Monroe mm-hmm. type of, you know, that was the, you know, the ideal type of woman, you know, a, a more of a full-figured woman. Well, then you go to the 1960s and into the 70s as well, and suddenly you get these very skinny models. You know, Twiggy, Twiggy. Was, was big. That's who yeah. always, you know, people will talk about. Goldie Hawn was huge in the, in the 60s and 70s. Right. Very, very th- extremely thin so that was kind of the trend. It, it was almost like it was a backlash against, you know, the, the curvaceous uh, actress and, and a pinup model of the 1950s. Then, but in the 1980s, you're kind of going for a more of a fit mm-hmm. look. And, you know, there was a movie out called Hard Bodies. I remember then that was kind of a, you know, a phrase that would be thrown around. And it, so it was, once again, the, the body type, the body image is going from, oh, you might be, you know, curvaceous or very real thin or no no now you need to have abs now you had to have some some tone to you yeah and not only were the women working working out hard to get these these bodies and and men too to make themselves but the clothes started to reflect the fact that they wanted to show off the fact of, of all their hard work so now you have these leotards you know women are wearing leotards guys are having you're starting to see muscle shirts you know, if you had a muscle shirt in the 70s, it's because you cut the sleeves off. Now you can actually buy a muscle shirt that doesn't have the sleeves. It's sewn that way. Mm-hmm. And it became more of a trend. And uh, I jumped course, all over that trend. Of course, you know, the, you had, you had, you know, the shorts were very short back in those days. Yeah. And the runner shorts were a big deal. I know that was what we used to wear a lot of. Uh, and the runner shorts, they came up very high. They came up high, but then you would pull your tube socks up to your knees. That's right. So, you know, you kind of balanced out the amount of skin that was being shown. All right. So that was, you know, the, it was the people who worked out very hard. That was a big fashion, uh, you know, trend in the early 80s. This is also something that tied into the music that was coming across the pond from the from the UK and, and countries in Europe. And that was the new romantic uh, phase. So you're, lo- you're talking about... Um, and these musical acts, to me, they were fascinating because they had a they had an artistic side to them that I that I think they had to teach American bands how to be artistic in their look and their and their just how they approached music. Not only are you hearing a different sound in, in the music that they're playing, but they're bringing a whole new look this way and. Uh, this this is the music I'm playing here is a flock of seagulls. Mm-hmm. 
which is one of the more famous hairdos. Not that people copied it, but you kind of get the idea that I'm going in is that they went very avant-garde with their... It was sort of a combination of a punk look with with preppy undertones. They wore their hair differently. They would have long hair, but they would shave their side, one side. And it was just a whole unique look that, for me as a kid, and I'm seeing these music videos for the first time, I, it blew me away. I was like, wow, I, I didn't know people could look this way. And, and you know, the, I think that the big takeaway from what you just said is we had music videos. So while there may have been fashion trends coming and going in the clubs, I'm sure David Bowie in the 1970s had some avant-garde hair and outfits that he was walking around in New York and London with, but we never saw it. It, it didn't make its way to mainstream. But now, with MTV in particular, it's completely mainstream where a couple of you know fifth and sixth graders suddenly know exactly what you're talking about when you say, hey, what do you think of the guy, the hair stuff from the guy from Flock of Seagulls? And it was MTV where I saw really for the first time men wearing the stud earrings. You know, they would have their ear pierced in the one ear. Right. And that was, that was a lot of, I think the first time I ever saw it was Gary Newman's Cars video. Okay. And he had his ear pierced. And that was really the first time I saw a male with his ear pierced. And then... You go fast forward maybe two, three years, and a lot of the musical acts had pierced ears. And, you know, I pierced my ear later on in the 80s myself. So it's definitely started a fashion trend, which was male pierced ears. Now, guys, at the time in the 80s, they didn't pierce both sides. They pierced one ear. Correct. And that, I think, in the mid to late 90s is when you started seeing... uh, guys pierce both ears. Right. Uh, But prior to that, getting your ear pierced was considered a little bit uh, of a risque thing for a guy's like hey he's he's a rebel yeah because think about that that video for for gary newman he's wearing a suit he has a very short haircut but he's got his ear pierced so it makes him edgy and that's kind of the approach and and one of the fashion trends but this whole new romantic period brought a whole lot of looks to uh you know to what we were able to visualize now that we could see it on on television on a regular basis and you know, as I said, you know, this these movements have been happening for a while. They, they primarily in the big cities and the clubs. And not only are we now aware of it, but I think depending where you would have gone to school, you know, depending whether you were in high school, there definitely, I'm sure, there were people trying to pull off the look mm-hmm. walking around school, even at our school. I mean, now Grand and Flock of Seagulls, that was that that was before you and I hit high school. So I, I'm not aware of anybody at our high school that was trying to do that. You never know. Come on. The, one of the best scenes in The Wedding Singer with Adam Sandler is where he's at the airport. Yeah. And the guy says, hey, you like a flag of seagulls? <laughs> and he says, I can see you do. Yeah. All right. So there was another big, and, and the next song that I'm going to play really more represented how Sean and I grew up in the, in the early 80s. And I'm going to kind of focus a little bit now on the preppies. So preppy preppy became for you know a period of time in 1982, 1983 was a, a big deal, and where the Europeans brought the new romantic, and it was sort of that take on punk rock. Uh, you know, I think a lot of American bands were rejecting the disco from before, so now they're they're dressing neatly, they're wearing suits, and you know they're wearing jackets, their hair is. Uh, you know, a little shorter, 
I'm playing this song. I can't. Bl- I, I'm surprised the Greg Kin Band is your representation of Preppy. Well, what what made me think about Preppy, in, and I'm thinking about what I would consider the California look. Okay. And I thought the video for this. Well, he's wearing he's wearing like his he's wearing, his wedding tux and Vans. He's wearing Vans, checkered Vans. Yeah. So it, to me, it was like the Preppy look became the. Uh, uh, the collared shirts kind of made its way back. You had, you had the uh, the, the short golf shirts. Izod, alligator shirts were, oh, were quite were quite shirts. the re- rage. I, I, I Scott knows this. I was really into the alligator shirts, and so for shirts and sweaters. In fact, even my senior year, I, I found a photo. I actually found my my high school ID my senior year. Okay, and I'm wearing an alligator sweater. Okay, was it red? It was blue. Oh, okay. I thought you had a red one too. I did. Well, our you know our parents raised three kids, and our mom didn't start going back to work until I was about ten. So now all of a sudden she's working full time, and she you know our parents have a little bit more disposable income. So our mom decided to turn Sean and I into dress up dolls, and there was a store in downtown Lancaster, not not Watt and Shan, but it was just like a like a men and boys clothing store that sold alligator clothing. And I remember I went in there the one night and I came out and I had like five different color alligator shirts. I had a pair of alligator shorts. Um, I had, I had wanted, I think I had asked before for like a, a sweatsuit and I had gotten this, this alligator. It was like a nylon material. So it was like nylon pants and nylon jacket, mm-hmm. which folded up and zipped into a pouch, mind you. Oh uh, yeah. So that was, uh, you know, that for a time that was very very big one of my favorite tv shows at during that time was a show called silver spoons mm-hmm. which had um Rick, ricky schroeder in it and ricky was about my age and that's exactly it was that preppy phase it was the early time of reagan and people were starting to make some money and you had these lines like i said starting with the designer jeans now all of a sudden you know, you could buy a golf shirt or, you know, just a regular short sleeve shirt with a collar. Now you're not paying the nine, 10 bucks for it. Now, because it's got an alligator on it or it's got a polo player on it, now you're talking 20, 30, $40 for, uh, for a shirt that's, that looks very similar, but it's got to have that logo on it. The yeah. logo was very important. That became a bigger thing in the 80s. It, the, the logos, the logos were big. I, maybe, it was true in the seventies. I'm sure there were some some you know fashion houses that you know you 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 needed to be a part of. Because doesn't Billy Joel sing about a uh, Halston dress and his sure yeah? So I mean, it mattered. Halston Halston was a brand, and if if you're gonna you wanted people to know if you know if you had a you know lady had a Halston dress, she was gonna make sure that wasn't that. I think didn't they talk about that in, in uh, Three's Company? Yes, where they. They had a, a dress, like uh, Chrissy and Janet had a dress with Halston sewed on the inside. Yeah, it's a J.C. Penney's dress JC with Penny a Halston with, label. And they said, but no, and Jack's like, well, but nobody ever know. And they're like, but, but the lady knows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and that, that song by Billy Joel was Big Shot. Yeah. They were all impressed with your Halston dress. Right, so, you know, that was always the thing. But I think really in particular in the A's, especially, uh, uh, you're right, Scott, you know, when it came to the preppy clothes, the label meant everything. You better not have a knockoff because you bet you, you might as well just wear a t-shirt it, it, as opposed to wearing some 
knockoff alligator shirt. Well, I, I think probably the, I mentioned probably the two biggest names for preppy clothes at that time would have been you know, when you're talking uh, jeans, you're talking Jordache. Uh, when you're talking the shirts, it would be either Izod with which had the alligator on it or Polo. Those are probably the, the probably the Polo, biggest. Oh one. yeah, sure, yeah. And then and then Doc Sides became a very very popular shoe mm-hmm. that I think you and I had right away when they first started to become popular. But you, yeah, you had to be careful. You couldn't have the knockoff ones. Right. Because they, they had the knockoff ones out there, but the Docsides, the original ones, had the little tag hanging down. They were made by Sebago. Yes. Docsides by Sebago. Mm-hmm. And that was, yeah, you had to have that. And they were running about $40, $50 at the time, which by today's, you know, today's exchange, you're probably looking at over $100 shoes. Right. Yeah. All right. We were knucklehead little kids putting pressure on our parents to, to buy us fancy clothes. You know, I think I think mom understood a little bit more than dad. And, you know, mom growing up had a little bit more of an eye towards fashion. Our dad, outside of, you know, wearing cowboy hats and turquoise jewelry. <laughs> right. Yeah, he, he, he found his lane and he was happy to stay there. Right, well, that's right. He was not looking to advance beyond that. And, uh, you know, I think... Between the two of them, mom was definitely somebody that I think she was a little bit more concerned with making sure that we were happy with, with the clothes that we wore. Right, yeah. All right, so I'm going to point out the next one, and I really can't say I ever saw anybody trying to copy this individual, but make no mistake that the fashion influence was felt based on what Michael Jackson wore. I can't say I've ever saw anybody wear a jacket like what he wore. I know they spoofed it in other movies and shows. And the fact that he wore one glove. Did you ever know any kid that wore just one rhinestone glove? No. Okay. No. But I, I, you would, I, I did already back, back during the 80s. I saw a kid already try to pull off like the leather biking gloves. You know, the fingerless leather gloves. Mm-hmm. That just I, I saw some kids wearing those around. Now, what I saw kids wear, Michael Jackson, one of the things that he had was the really short pants, like they kind of rode up the leg. Floods. Yeah. Yeah. And floods became a very popular thing, I think in part because of what Michael Jackson did. He kind of showed off the socks. Right. So, but as far as the overall look, but this this trend, much like a Boy George from Culture Club. Nobody was pulling off the Boy George. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, it it was, when I say those names, you can automatically imagine Exactly what these guys were wearing at that time. I, in the in the 80s, was, didn't the, the Coca-Cola shirts also kind of become a thing? Or was that 90s? That really started to take off in the 90s, okay. I think. Maybe yeah. it was late 80s or so. That, but I, I can remember that kind of following in with the with the Izod and, and the Polo as well. Well, I had mentioned, uh, you know, Spencer's was a place where you would go to get t-shirts like that. You know, if you wanted to, you know, one of my, one of my friends who couldn't, have named a single Grateful Dead song, bought a Grateful Dead t-shirt because mm-hmm. it was the Grateful Dead and he thought it was cool. Right. So, you know, that, that's, those types of shirts, those nostalgic type shirts. Well, not, I'm, t- I'm not talking nostalgic, but they had like the, they were almost like the rugby pullover shirts. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. Which um, Amy mentioned, she's like, you got to talk about rugby shirts because they yeah. were very, very big. Rug, rug, and I I had a rugby shirt. I, were those were those Gant? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so Sean, you know, we talked about uh, somebody like Michael Jackson, whose clothes were very recognizable, but yet I don't know if anybody that, that particularly tried to copy right. what, what he wore. 
This next artist was copied all over the United States and probably all over the world based on, on how she dressed. She became a global icon based on the clothes that she wore as she would have capitalized on maybe some of her fashion sense. She'd be even richer than she was than she is now. And I'm talking about Madonna. Is that possible? Uh, yeah, but Madonna, when this song came out and when her look hit MTV, I, you know, I didn't know any guy that tried to look like Michael Jackson. I went to school with about 10 girls that tried to copy the way Madonna dressed. We talked about it um, in our episode about Ladies That Rocked, where you know Scott brought up about how in the movie Fast Times at Ridgemont High, there were multiple girls that had the Pat Benatar look. Mm-hmm. And that would have been you know a couple years before we were in school. Obviously, you know that's early '80s before we hit high school. And but he is 100% right on the mark. the The Madonna look was definitely copied, and I, I'm not gonna lie, I liked it. It, it oh, sure. It, I, I I think that was something that really transitioned well into regular where I thought the girls looked good. And the and the, I think the cool thing about it was fashion in, in certain ways we talked about the preppy look we talked sometimes you're sinking a lot of money into it yeah but i think what probably made the madonna look different than just about any other fashion trend is you could do it and not spend a lot of money you could kind of go to like a thrift store which is what madonna herself did and that was kind of the look it was kind of a shabby chic in a way you know she might have a jean jacket and then put a scrunchie in her hair with a big bow and you know, it, it was, you know, she, you know, have some big jewelry, you know, some big earrings and some, some, some bracelets. And then, uh, you know, then, you know, she might have like the, the gloves. I mean, she kind of had like these, I don't know what, what they laced gloves that La- she would wear. A lot of lace. You would see, you would see girls with that. Lacy bows. And yeah. it was, so there were, there were, I guess there was a lot of materials that were, that were being used that you would consider like, uh, had a high feminine quality to mm-hmm. them. And a lot of accessories. Yes, a lot of accessories. It was more so than the outfit. Where I would say in the seventies, if you if you were a lady, you might have a jumpsuit, and that was the main focus was the jumpsuit. And maybe you would have so you know a necklace and some earrings that kind of you know offset that. But the the McDonald the, the Madonna look in particular was having as many accessories on as possible. One of the things that I remember about Madonna that I think about when I think of Tom Cruise back in the day are the sunglasses. Yeah. And they're really two of the first people in the public eye that I can remember from, you know, one being male, one being female that used the sunglasses look as part of their look. Mm -hmm. And I know Tom Cruise and the movie risky business really catapulted the sale of Ray-Ban sunglasses in particular. And Ray-Bans became a name much like Oakley in the nineties that uh, you know they were the must-haves was Ray-Bans. Ray-Bans are still big to this day, but sure. they were, uh, you know, you were trying as a kid, if you couldn't afford Ray-Bans because they were $100 back then to, to buy, and if you're a kid, you can't afford that. So you're like, you, you go out there to the sunglass store and you try and find something that's as cool. And I, I remember there was one summer where Sean, uh, you know, our family and our cousins all went to the beach at the same time. We stayed in the same house. I remember walking on the boardwalk with, with our cousin Bud, and we walked to the sunglass store, and I was going to try and find the coolest pair of yeah, sunglasses. The sunglass hut? I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And it was right on the boardwalk. Yep. I bought a pair of Ferrari 
sunglasses. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, this is cool because they fold up. I was going to say, did you get the folded, the kind that would fold and go yes. in the case? They fold and they had little, just a little handheld case. Yeah. And I thought, hey, that's cool. They, you know, they, they're kind of like Ray-Bans. Uh, and unfortunately, and I think the people in Ferrari knew that if you turn that hinge or fold that hinge about 20 times, <laughs> it's going to fall off. So, you know, that pair of $7 sunglasses kind of gave me about $7 worth of, of uh, eyewear. But mm-hmm. it... You know, Ray-Bans were, if you could afford it, that was that was the sunglasses that you had to have. Oh, I, absolutely. It, it was, it, it goes on even beyond that. Uh, you know, you're right. It kind of started, at least for us knowing about it, it was with Tom Cruise and in Risky Business. You know, Madonna Corporation. It, it really gets humongous when we get into Miami Vice. And Don Johnson really, I think, brings the Ray-Bans to, you know, to prominence. Uh, you know, Don Henley sings about, Ray-Bans and Boys of Summer. Right. And I think I'm going to also bring in our next group of fashionistas that came in at this time. And this was this was a huge, uh, particularly in the cities, I'm talking about breakdancing. Mm-hmm. So what we're listening to now is this, the song Breakin' from the movie Breakin', and this is Ollie and Jerry. And, uh, you know, breakdancing was not, again... We would occasionally see it in, in our area, but not mm-hmm. much. And I would just watch with wonder at how unbelievably skilled. How why isn't break dancing? It's gonna make a comeback. It has to. To watch uh, to watch how, how people could dance like that. But this brought in sunglasses and parachute pants. Did you ever have a pair of parachute pants? I did not. You did. I did. Yeah. And never I, never felt comfortable in the parachute pants. Really? Yeah. So I kind of did a little bit, just a little bit of research on parachute pants and the reason they had been around since the 40s, but the reason they became popular in the 80s is because break dancers sure. found that the parachute pants were, could, you know, survive all the spinning that they would do on the ground and you could beat them up a little bit more and they wouldn't tear like jeans would or any other type of pants. Right, right. It. I just remember the, the, the parachute pants that I had they they were red so they they were they were definitely they were definitely bold you had to be careful with what you wore them with I didn't actually select them I got them for Christmas okay so it's not something you know like it you know it's not a fashion that I necessarily would have picked and like I said it, it's you, you definitely stood out among the the jeans and t-shirt crowd what color were they they were red okay because you you didn't you not get a you got an MTV t-shirt that was black but yeah. it matched because I remember you wearing that as an ensemble. Yeah, it yeah. It, all, it was it was like Lori, I think got it. Her sister okay. got it for me. Okay. I, I think that the, was the I MTV shirt made, was cool. Oh, I, I kept the MTV shirt. It was like a muscle shirt. Yeah, yeah. It was a sleeveless. It, it, was, it wasn't a. It was like it was sleeveless. It was, yeah, it was. Yeah. It was a cut off without the. With, you know, that was already cut it, off. So if if for those of you if you want to visualize what it looked like, um, you know, think of Scandals the Warrior. And kind of how they were dressed, and I think that's about the time when I got the outfit. Okay. So it's kind of, you know, it's it's those red and and black type of colors, and you know, it. I wore it, and I remember I wore it around. It was okay. I said, I, but I, you definitely, you know, you you felt like the the guy in when when Eddie Murphy's walking down the street in Beverly Hills Cop, and he sees the guys dressed in the Michael Jackson outfit. You know, it uh, you know, <laughs> uh, among the, uh, the the jocks at the school, they uh, you know, they I don't think they were to- going to tolerate it for too long. Well, 
it, it brings, because all these came out right around the same time. You know, we're talking about 1983, 1984. Another one that came out in 1984, this, this was the one that, that Scott grabbed onto the back of this train and, and held on for dear life. I finally was able to find something that I could call my own. And I'm talking about the Springsteen look, yeah. which is the jeans and the t-shirt. Yeah. And for the first time, if you were to look at me, it's funny because it was it went from one year to the next. So seventh grade, mom's got me in alligator shirts mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, wearing that stuff to school. Eighth grade, I'm wearing jeans. I was taking dad's muffler t-shirts out of his drawer, <laughs> and I was wearing a bandana. So when Scott says muffler, our dad had a garage, and yeah. these were these were muffler companies that he was selling mufflers. Walker mufflers. Walker mufflers that he was putting on cars, and he would have the t-shirts that the uh, that the sales rep would give to him. Snap-on tools. Yeah. Yeah, I was. he'd get mad at me, too. I was like, you took my t-shirt. <laughs> I was like, you don't wear it. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I... I I loved the jeans and the t-shirt. For me, it's like I felt comfortable. Oh, yeah. And that's why I switched over as well. I, Well, I, I liked the preppy look. That was my junior high, for sure. By the time I got to high school, like I said, even though I had the, the alligator sweater, which, you know, we, we'd we wear that on occasion because, you know, we were supposed to dress up every so often at school. Now, I, I picked this song in particular because in the music video, Bruce is wearing a jean jacket. Okay. And now you're really starting to see jean jackets become, not you know, super popular. Where just about everybody there were, there were a couple of jackets that you could get in your closet, and one was a leather jacket, like a bomber type jacket, or any kind of leather jacket, and the other one was a jean jacket. How about a members only jacket? I had we had I members only jackets. Both of us had members only jackets, and I remember having a members only jacket about this around this time. Yeah. And I had to wear it because it was my winter coat. I didn't have anything else. Yeah, so there were two types of, of members only. They, they were the thin ones that you would wear kind of like a jean jacket. You and I did not have have those jackets. Correct. We had thick, thick, heavy winter coat members only. So I, I didn't. I wasn't embarrassed to have mm-hmm. a, a heavy members only jacket. No, but it. But it, at a point when it was it was time to let go, and members only was a big deal for. You know, a couple of years, mm-hmm. Chevy Chase wore a members-only jacket in National Lampoon's Vacation. Mm-hmm. I'll, I remember one of the specific commercials. One of the spokespeople was Larry Gatlin from the Gatlin Brothers Band. Uh, he he promoted uh, members-only jackets. Sang the song too. Yeah, and Wait, I, what, I did it go something like members-only when it, when you put it on. People, how how did that go? But there there was definitely. Something happens to you. So, what was the yeah. ide- what was the identifying characteristic of a members only jacket? Well, d- didn't the shoulders have kind of a strap straps on them? They, of course, the members only was right on the there breast. There was a tag right on the breast, and it had and on the on it the, had the snap. It had the neck, the neck thing that came around. And you could snap it, but nobody ever did. The look was you had to have it dangling, yeah, and that's how you knew it was a members only jacket. Okay, all right, but yeah, you're right. It did have the snaps on the shoulders. Yeah. I don't know what that was. Do you know what that was for? Hey, what? Who knows? It's just a style. Who knows? All right. All right. So here's a look that was, again, not copied in our area, but it was a very popular, popular look. Um, and I'm, I did see it on other act, you know, acts, musical acts, tried to emulate the Prince look. Puffy shirts and all. Puffy shirts, yeah. And the hair. I'm glad you went with this song. Raspberry Beret doesn't get played enough. You know, everybody wants to go back and they want to hear When Doves Cry or 
you know, but this th- this is a very underappreciated Prince song. Well, this this one came out after Purple Rain. It did. 1985. So Prince was kind of at the height of his powers at this point. And he had the mega success of the movie and the soundtrack. Won himself an Academy Award for the soundtrack. So when he comes out, he now sort of has that copyrighted trademark Prince look, which was the puffy shirt. And so now you start, you saw it. This is now his third album. And now the band's dressing like him, too, in this video. That's why I picked this particular song, because now the band looks more like him than they did at any other point in any of the videos that we watched. I, I don't remember anybody trying to pull this off, at least at school. No, no, not at all. Although Jerry uh, didn't want to be a pirate <laughs> in, in Seinfeld, in Seinfeld yeah. right? But still, this was a look that was very recognizable in not just the shirt, but he, the, the jackets that he wore and the fact that Prince, his shoes, let's face it, I mean, he wore, he wore heels. Oh, they were, they were stilettos. So that was, that, was, that was a look that, again, not necessarily copied by a lot of people. Hi everyone, it's Scott from the Gen X Playback Show. We're going to hit the halfway point here with our discussion on Gen X fashion. Hopefully you're enjoying it so far. And we're only scratching the surface right now, as you are well aware. I mean, there's so many more things out there that stand out or have stood out to you in your own personal lives. And Sean and I are just kind of giving a little snapshot as to what we experienced as kids growing up. Part two is going to be more of the same. We're stopping right now right around the mid-80s, and uh, we talked about Madonna and Bruce Springsteen and how a lot of the MTV culture kind of brought fashion to the forefront. You know, before as kids, you saw images of fashion on television, but with the advent of MTV for us Americans, it really brought fashion to the forefront. You were now really paying attention to what your favorite artists were wearing, whereas before you might not have ever seen how they dressed. Sean referenced David Bowie uh, earlier in this episode and said, you know how David Bowie dressed in the 70s? Uh, for young kids like ourselves, we never saw it. It's a good good perspective for us to, to look at. So Sean and I really want to say thanks for tuning in to the Gen X Playback Show. We enjoy putting this on week after week, and hopefully you enjoy following along with our topics we like to kind of go around all over because gen x had so much to offer for us as people that lived in that during that time and if you didn't grow up in the gen x era in the 70s 80s or 90s hopefully you're learning a little bit about the culture of what we had growing up as kids so thanks again for tuning in uh, for the gen x playback show for my brother sean i'm scott Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. See you.